I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Book of the Month Club is this week's sponsor. They're offering listeners uh, their first book for only $5 with code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y. Again, that's code Zibby for your first book for $5 to Book of the Month Club, which, by the way, is amazing. I subscribe every month. I get to pick from five of their favorite books. Um, most of the time, one of them is is by an author I've had on my podcast, and then it just arrives. I've given it as a gift. I adore it, and you will too. So think of it for gifts, and um, for sure, go on bookofthemonth.com and subscribe yourself. I'm here today with Rocky Merchandani, who's the author of children's book, Super Satya Saves the Day, which recently won the Purple Dragonfly Award from Bharat Babies. She's an award-winning writer, editor, and pediatric cancer crusader. Her work has appeared in L. Redbook, HuffPost, The Wall Street Journal, and The New York Post, among other publications. She's currently the editorial director of diversity and inclusion at Dow Jones. Rocky has appeared on The Today Show and on Sirius XM. So I'm here today with Rocky Merchandani, and we met at the Brooklyn we Book did. Festival. And my kids and I have both all <laughs> fallen in love with you, so I'm super excited you're here. Actually, my daughter, my younger daughter, invited Rocky to our house and asked her to sleep over. She did. Day one, minute one. <laughs> okay, you want to come over for sleepover? It's like, maybe, why not? Luckily, you weren't totally creeped out by that, so that's good. <laughs> what about weirder if I asked her? You know that's what I mean? True. Like, that, that I feel like what she asked it was so Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sure she will be sneaking in here at some point. She's like so excited to have it's you in the, the house. Best. Anyway. Okay. So Super Satya Saves the Day. What is it? This is a children's book. Yes. Tell us what this book is about and what inspired you to write this children's book. So it's a picture book. I always thought I would write a book. Like I'm a journalist. I always wanted to be a writer. Like this is the thing I want to do as editor of my school paper. I was not going to have another career. I was going to write. I just figured I would write it in newspapers, which is what I did for, for the, the last 15 years or so. And I set out, and I was like, in my brain, I'm going to write a novel one day. This is what I'm going to do. I love to read novels. And I have a daughter. She is going to be six. Her name is Satya. And she loves the bookstore. She loves books. We spend all of our time and all of our money at Little City Books in Hoboken. And she was really into Wonder Woman. This is like about two and a half years ago or so. She'd dress up like Wonder Woman. She'd wear Wonder Woman shirts all the time. Like, it was a full-blown obsession. So I thought it'd be great. I'd go get a book. There's a girl kind of looks like her who's a superhero. Seems like an easy ask, right? They have books about everything. Dragons, eating salsa. Like, you name it, there's a book. <laughs> and so I go to the bookstore, and I'm looking in the shelves, and I come up with nothing. There is one board book, but it is actually about Wonder Woman, but she's just a child. I was like, this cannot be. Like, not, it's not possible that, that no one has ever had this thought before, right? So I go on Amazon. I'm like, they must have it. Maybe the bookstore is that. Zero. So now I'm, like, really frustrated. And I didn't say anything to her because it's not her frustration. It, like, it was clearly mine. And I, I just didn't really—I was angry in that moment because I grew up not seeing myself in books. And to think that, you know, I'm 38 years old and to think that I have this— daughter and the same thing was going to happen to her like just blew my head apart and t tell us about your heritage and why you're not fine yeah yeah so my parents are both from India my husband is a turban wearing sick and his parents are both from India so we are you know we're American we're Indian Americans we're very Indian and we're very American at the same time right and it was really this moment and it happened so fast on that day that crystallized and I was very upset about it much more so than I thought I would be. 
Were there superhero books about kids who were not Indian? No, you know, just, there were. There were, there were. But yeah. I wanted a book. My only thing that I walked into the store was I wanted the character to kind of look like her. I didn't expect the, char- the character to be Indian, mm-hmm. but kind of look like her, right? And there were none. And it just was, it was so angering for me in that moment. And I remember just kind of like being upset and then letting it go for a little while, you know, a day or two, and then just writing it. I would sat on the on the train to work. I, take, I have like a 25-minute train ride every day. I'm just writing it. And I sat down and just, it came together like very, very quickly. And then what happened? I, it's such a weird story because I now understand having sold a book after that. This is not exactly how things work. I wrote it and I told my agent, I'm like, oh, I wrote this book. Do you want to look at it? She's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm going to send it to you. And then I remembered that I knew this woman who ran this small indie publishing house in Boston. I didn't know her as a friend, but I had used one of her books in a, in a column I had written for Elle and I had liked it very much. And so I just sent it to her. And she was like, I love this book. I would like to buy this book. And I was like, okay. (laughs) I did not tell my agent. I went fully rogue. So then I was like, "Uh uh-oh, okay. And I've sold this book to her, but now I have to tell my agent who's going to be like, what have you done? What happened here? We had a plan. You write manuscript. You send the manuscript to me. So wait, the agent, though, that you had... What were you doing with that agent? Had you written a novel? No, or? no. I you, you uh, were doing a lot of magazine just, and newspaper. I, yeah, I was just kind of like exploring. What is it like to have a literary agent? What do you What do you talk about? What does that relationship look like? Because it can be How hard even to get. It's very it. complicated. Yeah. And aren't we a friend of mine, Linda Stacy, who was a longtime New York Post and Daily News columnist, had written two novels. Liza was her agent. Linda and I are very great friends. She introduced me to Liza. We all hit it off. Like it was yeah. fine. But it was so, I mean, when I think about it now, it's like really quite idiotic the way that it all no, got not. bent it's amazing. Because I was like, poor Liza, my long-suffering, like, amazing human of an agent was like, okay, Rocky. I was like, can you look at the contract? She was like, what? What happened in the time that we spoke? And now, what did you do? And I was like, oh, I, I told her she could buy it. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> and it was like, it all, look, it turns out in the beautiful way that it's meant to, I think. Yeah. When you just really believe in something and I think you have, I think the intentions are really pure and really strong and really good. And I think the things just work out yeah. and it and they did for me. That's awesome. But it was like a very, every time I like think about the story and I think about Liza, I'm like, what did I do? I would have fired myself. <laughs> Liza didn't fire me. She was like, okay, Rocky, let me tell you, this is going to work the next time. Don't ever do this again. I'm glad you did it this time. But the great part, I mean, what I'm sure the publisher in Boston responded to is that it's not just an old school story about a superhero, right? It's so modern. It's like <laughs> the girl can't find her cape at the dry cleaner. Yeah, the dry exactly. cleaner is closed and the mom needs a cup of coffee. And it's just like so <laughs> of the moment and yet timeless at the same time. Like it, like the mom, you can see moms like kind of laughing to themselves. Every time it's story right. time, right. I read that line and all the parents laugh because that is our daily struggle, isn't it? What was the line? Our, yeah, there's yeah. this joke. It says they did, they, the, this is when they're doing errands on the way to school. They did stop for coffee, though. They always stop for coffee. Mama says if she doesn't have any coffee, her head will explode. (laughs) (laughs) That's our life, isn't it? In the morning, it's, you got to get somewhere. I have no time to do these, like, 15 things that we're supposed to, but we have to.
have to get a cup of coffee before I take you to school so I can get to work. Yeah. That's just how it goes. I keep to-go cups in my house. It's, and I fill a to-go cup. And they, oh, and that then is I, genius. Yes. They're not expensive. This they're, is very lot, smart. It's a lot less than going out for coffee. Oh, and then and I hold waiting, it all and day and I don't have to like wash, wash my mug. Okay, I mean, is, I'm sure this is not environmentally Yes, I get it. But amazing. sometimes life is life. But I mean, you're already going to waste the cup at Starbucks. That is right. Well. It's not like 100%. And buying the little pods is so much less than buying. Than buying the And thing. also, it's not even the price. I mean, it is the price, but also the time you spend waiting. Well, the waiting is always, and then, you know, every morning. This is every morning you think she'd learn by now. She doesn't care. Can I? Ha- no. Yeah. We're not here for you. You're not getting a cake pop. It's 730 in the morning. What do you think your life is? <laughs> every morning. Every morning. One day, like one day when I say yes to her, she's just going to be like, what has happened? Who are you? Yeah, then she'll ask the rest of her life. <laughs> it's like the study like, with no. the mice. You know, the yeah. mice have like inter- intermittent reinforcement, you know, and like sometimes I when can't. you press the button, you will guess the cheese. <laughs> Your poor daughter. Oh, good. I know. My long suffering. It's all the people in my life are just long suffering. No, I mean, I'm That's kidding. That's what you can no. refer to them as. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> So that, I mean, I don't, so this is like a book that appeals to me and also the kids. So it's like a perfect combination. It's amazing. So then how did you come up with the next, you already sold another book. We did. So I listened to Liza. I wrote the manuscript. I sent it to Liza. Liza read it. Then we like, she did all of the proper channels where she reached out to the editor she knew at various houses and However, that yeah. sausage gets made. So did you pick a different publishing house? So can I tell you a crazy story about this, though? At the end of last year, I said to Liza, I really want to sell a book to Little Brown. So Little Brown is, I just think they make these really exquisite children's books. And I remember saying to her, like, Little Brown, that's where I want to sell my next book. And she was like, and she said, like, a very supportive, loving woman. And she was like, I don't know about next year, but we'll get there. And I was like, Okay, fine, but we're going to do it. And what do you know? Not six months later, Liza, the wizard she is, we sold a book to Little Brown. Yay. I know. It's really like a— That's amazing. It's kind of awesome. This, and, it's like all about like setting your intention. <laughs> but it feels really weird when it happens. Yeah. Because I believe it. I really believe that's true. That like when you really have a pure intention and you set it out and then you do the work, it's coming. It's going to happen for you. Like, I believe that. But then when it happens, you're like, wait, I, what, how did this happen? Yeah, amazing. <laughs> you know? In my head, I have like my dream publishing house and dream editor oh, of the book it. in my head that I have yet to write. That's it. And I'm just like, eventually, like, this is how I will get there. <laughs> and you, of course you will. Of course you, you will. you have to believe it. I think that's like what everybody. I think you have to believe it and I think you have to say it out loud. To, to the stakeholders who are going to help you make it happen. I just do. Yeah. Like, I knew when I said it to her, like, sh- I knew she was well, going to hear it. Because then you gave it. her a goal. That's and like, it. And I knew she was going to hear it. Mm-hmm. And it would sit like there in her mind. Yes. Love it, it was like, it was kind of wild. And I get to work with this amazing editor at Little Brown, Sam Gentry, who I just love. And what's love, the next book going to be called? Can you say? So, yeah, the book is called Hair Twins. And it's about a turban-wearing sick father and his daughter, who are hair twins because in this uh, in the Sikh faith, um, generally the the practitioners don't cut their hair, so the dad has long hair just like the daughter. That's why they're hair twins. I love it. It's a cute it's a cute story. And did you use the same illustrator? No. So the illustrator for Super Satya is Tim Palin, who is I mean, it's a beautiful book. Every time we meet people at like bookstores or we do events, people are always like, "Who is the illustrator of this book?" Because it's really vibrant and lovely. And for Hair Twins, it's Holly Haddam, who did Dear Girl. 
Let's shift gears a tiny bit. Okay. To like the sad part of your life, yeah, if yeah. you don't mind. And no, I'm sorry. No, I don't, I don't mind at all. It's part of the story. You are a pediatric cancer crusader. I sure am. Tell me what happened. I sure am. So like I said, Satya is five. She's going to be six in November. And when she was five months old, about five months old, she had cancer. She had cancer for five months until, until just about a year old. She had a tumor called neuroblastoma. It is a it is a very aggressive, scary kind of cancer in infants, but we were very, 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 very blessed because we caught the cancer so early that she didn't need chemo, she didn't need radiation. She we needed to watch it all summer and measure it and make sure, like, you know, they wanted her to get a little bit bigger before they did the surgery and they wanted to make sure it wasn't growing very Where quickly. Where was it on her body? It was between her kidney and her aorta. How did you find it? Um, she's a tiny baby, right? So, like, you think about, they're very small at five months old. Yeah. We found it, it there are two schools of thought. You could say we found it by accident. Okay. Or you could say that we were guided to it. It depends on how you look at things. But I went to the doctor three times, and the third time, I kept saying, like, something's wrong with the baby. Something's wrong with the baby. And the third time, my doctor, Dr. Mahmood, I will never forget her. I say her name every single night. She was like, you're the mom. If you think something's wrong, something's probably wrong. So let's get some blood and some urine and we'll see. And what were the signs? All I could describe was that her eyes looked really far away and she was like unable. I just felt like she wasn't locking eyes with me. Okay. Which sounds exactly like it sounds. It doesn't sound, it's, you know. No, you're. It's not terribly scientific, but I was like, something is happening here. Mm -hmm. And she called me back in 24 hours. Everything was fine. And I was like, okay, well, I don't know. Maybe it is teething like everyone says. And in 36 hours. They called me and they said, rush her to the hospital. What? Right. What, something had grown. Yes. And they said that she has a bacteria, it's hyper-resistant to oral antibiotics. It's a UTI. But it's a very, it's this, she will need IV antibiotics for two months because it's like this crazy hyper-resistant strain called ESPL. Fine. We get there. When they do a UTI, they do an ultrasound, right? In the course of doing the ultrasound for the UTI, they found the cancer. Oh my God. Uh-huh. That's but, how but we she, found it. But she did have a UTI also? So it's unclear what's related and what was a UTI and what was actually this bacteria. Like, there was a lot going on at the time, but that's how they found it. And did you freak out? You know, it's so—I am a very freak-out kind of person. Like, I can go from zero to 100 and then back to zero. And, like, you know, in that moment, because I heard the tech was doing the ultrasound, she walked outside the room— and I heard her call the doctor and she called the radiation oncologist and said, I, you need to come downstairs. I think that there's a tumor. <gasps> and I was like, uh, what? And I didn't say anything to her because I was obviously eavesdropping and like with my ear outside. But I knew exactly like what road. And they were like, just meet the oncologist. It's probably nothing. I knew exactly the road we were going to go down. But I did not, it is wild that I did not freak out. It is actually wild and very uncharacteristic. Was your husband there too? He was not there at that moment. He was traveling for work, but he came, like, the the next day. And then did you go on full-on, like, warrior so, mode? Like it was like I was possessed by another spirit of a human. Like, it was not—it was unlike how I am now or in my normal life, but it was all about how do we make the appointments, what do we need to do, how do we get in, like, first in the day, and it was, like, total mission-oriented— we need to figure this out. We need to figure this out quickly. And what did you do with the rest of your life? I was so lucky to where I worked at the Daily News at the time, the New York Daily News, and I was so, so lucky to have the kind of editor-in-chief that I did 
because they were like, your job is to take care of your baby. That is your job. We will still be here. Your job will still be here. Take care of your baby. And that is exactly what I did. But having that confidence and knowing that the other parts of your life are not going to fall apart because this part is, is so empowering. And you don't realize it at the time, right? Because at the time, you're like, I don't care. I'll never work again. What difference does it make? But as you unpack things like years later, that is, I understand how fortunate I was. And did you just not like release your breath for months? Like, was it just like- Sometimes I think I still have it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think I still have it. I know. They say, and it certainly is easier and better. I don't panic at the thought of every cold and every cough. And that is all true. But I also have learned in that experience, like I will celebrate every single joy. And I mean every joy. Every tiny, you could forget this ever happened moment, like I will celebrate it and I will take it. Because there was a large part of her first year that I was not sure we were going to have them. Oh my gosh. And how do you do that? Like, I say that to myself a lot too. Like I, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to savor this moment or I I need to take, you know, I'm so, what, how? Yeah. Like, do you write it down? How do you remember? Like, I feel like my memory does that happen to you? Like, All the time. I, like, do you write it? Do you take pictures? Like, how do you, like, capture the joy and the gratitude when you feel it? Because I feel like it's also fleeting. Like, you're, I think you're right about that, by the way. But I think there, there are two things. One, my friend Hoda, and I, I had said this to actually Joe, who wrote mm-hmm. How to Be Married. My friend Hoda had taught me this, this practice. Like the Hoda? Yeah, Hoda. Hoda copy okay. Hoda. But she taught me this practice of writing down every single day three things that you are grateful for. And she does it every morning. And it, I was like, this is useless. I'm not going to do this. It takes so much time. Who wants to do this? I don't want to keep a diary. And I was like, I'm never going to do this. And she brought it up quite a few times. And she would talk about like what it did for her. And so I started doing it. Now, I'm not terribly organized about it in the sense that like it's not, it's not always in one book but I do it every single day now. And what it does for me is that it forces me, I think sometimes gratitude feels like this really large concept that like you have to say you are, but it's hard to wrap your arms around. But in the day when you think about the three things that you're grateful for, like there are actually three things every day that you are grateful for. And they're not always big things. Sometimes they are small things. Like you got a seat on a train when you were really tired, right? And that is a perfectly fine thing to feel grateful for. And sometimes it's a really large thing, like my daughter's health, which is always the first thing on my list. But I think just feeling every single day that things happen today, and I'm thankful for them, it is exactly the way that I end my, it's the way I end my day every day. When you put your head on that pillow, you're feeling real good about what happened today. As shitty as the day might have been, there were three things that you can be thankful for. So there's that. But I think the other piece also is, I celebrate these small joys, and I do, but I don't ever intend to carry all of them with me forever. Sometimes, and many times, like, I celebrate them in the moment, and I'm really happy in that moment. And it is okay if I don't remember it again, and it is okay for that moment to leave. There will be more moments that come after. But I really mean it that, you know, if we, I happen to pick her up, like, 30 minutes early— I'm so much more likely, and we do it all the time, we're like, you know what, let's just stay at the park for another 40 minutes. Or 
I made dinner at home and this is like a thing we've done a few times, but you know what? Why don't we just sit outside? It's a beautiful day. Like we'll get French fries and then we'll go home and eat dinner. Just like really silly, small things that make me feel like we're soaking up every single piece of each other. That's so nice. <laughs> it's so sad, but it's so nice. It is you though. Like, do you still though lose your patience? Like All the time. All the time. I lose my patience all the time. So That's the kind of person like a, I am. I'm not a Zen person. I'm not. I have moments of Zen. When I write these three things down, I'm quite Zen. But I'm an impatient, kind of loud, brassy person. That's who I am. So I get, you know, I yell a lot at her. I yell a lot at myself. Does your daughter understand what happened to her when she was little? You know, it's interesting. My girlfriend just asked me this recently. So we are, we do a lot of things together for the hospital. My husband, my daughter, my family, my brother, like everyone's involved. And so we take her there a lot. We take her. It's it's Hackensack University Medical Center in New Jersey. And we go down, like we're going down to St. Jude in a couple of weeks. And I take her with me a lot. Mm -hmm. And she is very involved. When we do bone marrow drives, there was, you know, a couple of kids who needed bone marrow drives. And so I would set them up in my town and I would rally the people and I make her come. And sometimes she just hangs out. Sometimes she's involved. Sometimes she's entertaining the troops, like whatever it is. But I, she is aware. She understands that like cancer is a thing that happens. She asked me recently, like, well, why didn't I die mm-hmm. if some people die? Because they understand things, right? She's going to be sick. Like she gets it. And it was like a really, I wasn't expecting her to ask me that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a particularly brilliant answer. And I said, sometimes some people get to live and some people get to die, despite like having great doctors and, and great medical care. And she just like, she just looked at me. She goes, phew. And I was like, what? And I mean, in some ways, phew, right? Like, I, what else is there? There is no good answer. There's no good answer. There's no good answer. So you still like go on a mission to help other people. Yeah, we do a lot of, I'm the president of a pediatric cancer charity. It's 30 years old. It's called the Tomorrow's Children's Fund. I do a lot of work with the Hospital Foundation in Hackensack, a lot of work with St. Jude. I just, as much as we can, truly, for as many people as we can. Because I think that I've seen firsthand, especially like spending the time that we did on the oncology floor as patients, what happens when you're there. Like your whole world is falling apart. Your entire life is falling apart. And to know that there are people out in the world who don't know you, but are willing to lend a hand to let you keep some things together is... In that moment, it, it allows you to focus more deeply on the task at hand, which is your child. It's a tragedy on a million levels that when your child is sick, you're also worried about paying bills and groceries and mortgages and rent and car payment. Because all that stuff still happens. Like, right. the world still spins. It is not stopping. Right. And so allowing people to participate in someone else's life, I think, is, is kind of is beautiful. I wonder also about people who are going through this who have other kids at home. Because, like, I've even just been, I'm sure every parent has been to the ER or they will at some yeah, point for yeah, some little thing yeah. or another. And even just after a day, and I'm not trying to compare it at all to what you're going through, but even if I just— Anyone who's ever had a sick kid, even with a cold, though, you know the fear. You understand the fear. What is this? What are we doing? And then you get so drained, like, yes. a day in the hospital. Like, yes. it's like another time—it's like a time warp. It's like a— prison me time warping awful universe and then to have other people depending on you too or just your, or life in general but I mean, all I'm the not kid, saying, like think like, about the other children though right and all of a sudden you're the, the child is sick with cancer this goes on for years two years three years what happens right it's it's really 
cancer threatens everyone in the family and every relationship in the family. And that's why like, doing this work, especially with these organizations, like the Tomorrow's Children's Fund, it really, it is a holistic understanding of what happens when a family deals with a cancer diagnosis. So how, do, if people want to help, what should they do? Yeah, I think there are a couple of things. I think the first thing, and it's the most obvious, is make a donation. So find the- Tomorrow's Children's Yeah, you could tcfkid.org. Whatever is the thing that speaks to you, right? For me, it's pediatric cancer, but like know where your money's going. That's what I always say is like know where your money is going. When people give me money, I make sure, and I'm involved with the charity, even with the Hackensack Hospital Foundation, and I'm like this money is for patient care, patient aid. That means that the money goes to actually pay these bills for these families, which is the thing that I care about the most because I understand the stress of I was very lucky, right? My job, they were like, we got you. That is not what happens all the time. People have to quit jobs, and you spend years digging out of that. And so that is the first thing you can do. But also, the, you can. there are other ways to help. There are, like, corporate, sort of, like, corporate giving programs that you don't have to do a ton of work, but the money will still go to the places that need it, right? And then call your local hospital and be like, what can we do? What can we do in the community? What do you need? We have a food pantry at our, at the, at the Hackensack, at the Tomorrow's Children's Fund in Hackensack, and when patients go home, patient families go home, they can grab stuff for dinner. Like small things like that make huge differences to people, right? So we have the local shop, right? His name is Larry and Sarah, but he pays to, to keep the food pantry stocked. Like that is such an, an amazingly generous, beautiful act. Like you're actually putting food on the table for people, right? Like there's so many ways. And I think it matters. So why have you not written a story, like a book about this? You know... I think about it all the time. And I think it's because it still is a tremendous place of pain. And I, I think I just need a little more space. I think about it all the time. All the time. I mean, no pressure. I wasn't no, trying. no. I just feel like it, I'm so glad you asked me. Sometimes, it, you know, I, I'm glad you asked me because it, it seems like it's, it's nice so just, natural. I know. Like you could, you could have just written that book right now. Like I, I could have just, I could try, I could just give you the transcript. <laughs> you could send that off as your proposal. I know. I know. I know. You know what I think about though? Like the book that I, about this experience that I would really like to write is the thing that I have observed so many times is the relationships between the parents and the child in these moments. And I do, I often think about, you know, like, some 10 tales, 12, whatever it is, but of what the parents learn from the children in these moments and what they learn about being parents in these moments. Because there is so much that changes. If I were your agent, I would probably say, start with an article. <laughs> start with an article. I know, that's options. what they say. Right? That's what they say. All but, the time. And I'm like, I have written so many yeah, articles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Well, if I were right. a publisher, I would want to buy <laughs> and read the book about your experience because I'm like hanging on every word of your story. <laughs> And it's inspiring, you know, and every parent yeah. worries. I mean, as soon as I you know. create life, you know that life. I mean, not to, you know, I hate to knock wood or whatever. But I like, know. in the act of creating life, you are creating an imminent death in a way. A hundred percent. And I mean, what, we can only hope that we're not here to see it. I mean, that's like, that's but that doesn't make me feel better. Know. Exactly. Like, I know. So it's, it's like, I know. I don't know, to address it head on. Early, there it's is, powerful. Yeah, I mean, there's power in what and there's something. And, I think there is also something though in you know you're asking before about like do you write it down and do you take pictures and I do, I do all those things. But I think also being really comfortable 
with not having to remember and keep everything. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be the, the, the keeper of all of the memories for everyone's life. You just don't. I wonder what happens when instead of focusing on preserving, we just focus on living and being. But about the fans. <laughs> what, is that, what does that feel like for us? How does that change our experience being parents? being partners, just being people. Okay, well, do you speak <laughs> places publicly? <laughs> you, should, you should be going out and, like, going and doing stuff. All right, we're going to turn this off in a minute. I'm going to give you a to-do list of what you need. Because you don't have enough on your plate. For all the you have, I, I know you have, like, a massive no. full-time job as well and a mom and I've everything else and a new book coming out. Right now. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing your story. Thanks, Sadie. (laughs) Thanks. You're welcome to sleep over if you want. You know. I love it. But uh, but thank you. Thank you. I'm a fan and I'm like nerding out being here. I'm just excited that, like, my funny Instagram message, like, the world just brought us together. Right? Is that so funny? That's how it is. I know. It happens all the time in life, and it just makes me laugh. When you walked into Brooklyn Book Fest that day, I just, I was like, of course. Well, you were like, hey, what did you say? Like, great article. I was like, I'm just really happy for you. I'm happy for you. I'm like, oh, that's so nice. So I liked it. And I was like, who is this saying this such a nice thing? And then then we happened to go to Brooklyn Book Fest. I was like, wait a minute. I think this is the same person who emailed me on Instagram, DM me or whatever. I was like, I can't believe it. And I'm like, hi, I'm here. (laughs) It was so funny because I just remember reading that piece and it was like, I don't know, New York. Oprah of New York, is that what it was? And I was like, I'm just anyone who, I'm just happy for you. Like, what a moment to be called that. I like this. And I just remember thinking, like, cool. (laughs) That's cool. That's so cool. And so awesome. You know, like, what a day. And then when you walked in, I was like, you know, this is how the, this is exactly how the world works. It's exactly how it works. For me, too, because now this is, like, an amazing experience. That's how it works. And... Now we'll be friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, it's you didn't know great. this. Now we're. Oh friends. no, I'm sleeping over. We're we're, we're friends. <laughs> All right. Thank, Thank you. you. This episode has been sponsored by Book of the Month Club. Bookofthemonth.com. Enter code Zibby to get your first book for five dollars. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You could always email me at zibby at zibbyowens.com. 